working drummer. Now kick it. This is the Working Drummer Podcast, serving up perspectives, experiences, and stories from ground-level working pros. Advice, tips, and secrets on how to build a career in the music business. Hey everyone, Zach Albetta here, and you're listening to the podcast Working Drummer. I'm excited to be a part of the team producing it, and it's one of three podcasts that will now be available to you through the Merge Network. The other two are Nick Ruffini's Drummer's Resource. Uh, Nick has been heading up the Drummer's Resource website and podcast for a few years now, and is just doing great things with it. Uh, Really great interviews with legendary drummers and a website full of articles and tools for drummers of all levels. And the other podcast is the Daniel Glass Podcast. Uh, You all know Daniel as a great performer, author, and clinician, and he's going to be sharing Uh, his unique perspectives on this new podcast. He's just a walking encyclopedia of drum history from the styles and artists to the drums themselves, and he's going to go in-depth on a lot of that stuff, so I'm looking forward to checking that out. You can subscribe to those uh, by going to drummersresource.com or danielglass.com, and you can listen to them directly off of those sites as well. As for Working Drummer, I'll be sharing interview duties with its founder, Matthew Krauss, We'll be trading off interviews every week. I'm uh, very grateful to Matthew as well as Mike Jackson for bringing me onto this project. Uh, they've done an amazing job getting this concept up and running in the last year. And as you heard in the intro, that concept is interviews with drummers who might not be household names in the drumming community, but who have busy careers performing in all sorts of contexts. My first interview for Working Drummer is with Matt Johnson. Uh, Matt is a native of Southern California, where he still lives, and has had a long and varied career behind the drums. He's currently the drummer for the Tony Guerrero Quintet, which is also the backing band for actress and singer Jane Lynch. Uh, He is the director of the percussion department for Fullerton College in Orange County, and he has quite a unique thing going on uh, with the drum set studio there, both in terms of the curriculum and the gear in the room that he uses to teach there. Uh, so here we go. Hope you enjoy my conversation with Matt Johnson. Matt, thanks so much for doing this. Matt. It's absolutely my pleasure. Welcome to the uh, Digital Drum Set Lab at Fullerton College. Yeah, let's start here before we get into your your, your gigging life. Tell us about the room we're sitting in right now. Well, this room uh, is a result of uh, a couple of ideas I had, and uh, it now, uh, from what I understand, is the largest of its kind uh, at a public institution. We have uh, 12 Roland TDK and TD15 kits all hooked into a network. So just like a uh, a piano lab, uh, I can instruct up to 24 students. Each one of these um, has a junction box for two students. Mm -hmm. So when I have a full class, uh, I have uh, uh, drummer, producer, drummer, producer in every chair. And uh, I can uh, lecture and demonstrate, and then the kids are allowed to, um, the kids, they're college students, uh, <laughs> are able to um, uh, practice on their own uh, uh, on their own frequency, and then I can have a one-on-one conversation with them. And, uh, and it has done for percussion and drum set instruction specifically what the piano lab of a generation ago has done for piano and music education. We can get so many people um, in a class and, and, and so much information in front of them, and they immediately put it into practice. I yeah. mean, I lecture for a little, and then they're just working. Yeah. It's quite a room to walk into, and I, I took a panora- panoramic shot of, of the room that I'll put up on the cool. on the site with the interview. Cool. But um, can people find out more about it online? Yeah, uh, they, they can indeed. Uh, for information on Fullerton, they can go to Full Call F U L L C O L L dot E D U, uh, and we also the percussion department has a website, and it's we, we just launched it, and I believe it's FullertonPercussion.com. I'll have to double check that. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And, the, and and you can always uh, leap from my website DrummerMattJohnson.com. Great. Um, so tell us a little bit about uh, the gig with Jane Lynch and how that came about and, and what that entails behind the drums. Exactly. Well, you mentioned I'm a part of the Tony Guerrero Quintet. Tony and I have collaborated for somewhere between 15 and 20 years. And, uh, and the Tony Guerrero Quintet is the latest um, 
incarnation of the many groups that we've created together. And, and Tony is a trumpet player. Tony plays trumpet, uh, but he's he's also a very talented uh, keyboardist mm-hmm. and uh, and and friends with Mr. Tim Davis, who was the uh, uh, choral contractor, arranger, and producer for Glee. Cool. And so when Jane knew that Glee was ending, I believe the story goes, she went to Tim Davis and said, I'm starting a show, uh, and it's going to be a cabaret show. I want to do a touring live act. Um, Can you recommend a a music director? And he recommended Tony. Mm -hmm. And so Tony began uh, collaborating with uh, Jane, and it was originally just going to be a piano trio, and then halfway through the book, they decided they were going to do some tunes from um, from uh, Annie. She was on Broadway in Annie, playing the Miss Hannigan uh, part. And it required a woodwind artist that, that doubled on clarinet. So he said, okay, I can do that. We'll go piano trio plus clarinet, I guess. And then a little later they said, well, wait, now that we have a woodwind player, you could do some two-horn things like you do in your quintet and he said well no not if I'm playing piano right and then they said well hire another trumpet player and he said well I'm not going to hire another trumpet player to play trumpet in my band (laughs) why don't I just hire the piano player that plays in the quintet right and and they said that sounds great and I think Jane was probably hesitant initially but she came to our first rehearsal was it was her by herself she has no entourage Mm -hmm. She came down. It was Tony's birthday. She brought Tony a birthday cake. I don't think they'd met before. Nice. We were just going to do run-throughs of the material. And we played the first tune, and she just she said, this is great, done, I love it, what's next? And it's just been, really, it's been a love fest ever since. Kate Flannery from The Office, mm-hmm. who played Meredith the Drunk on the TV show The Office, is also in the show, along with Tim Davis. And then again, it very organically, at some point in the process, they said, well, you know, we were going to have an opening act, but it sounds like you guys could just do it. So we open the show. Cool. And we do several tunes, and we do some of the stuff from our uh, nightclub act. Mm-hmm. And then we introduce Tim, who's a fabulous singer, mm-hmm. and produced all 800 tracks of vocal tracks for the show Glee. Wow. Yeah, for how many seasons that was, yeah. I don't remember. but. Yeah. Um, he did every single one of those. He's wow. a great singer. And then he introduces Jane. And then Jane comes out, sings. And then Kate comes stumbling into the act. Her character is very confused and doesn't know why she's there. But Jane invites her to stay. So and it's a it's a musical comedy yeah. extravaganza. It really is. Uh, uh, Jane's got great singing chops. And, and uh, they do some tight harmonies on a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the show was very structured, um, which I believe is how she works. And then within that structure, it's gotten very, very loose. Mm -hmm. She's now doing a lot of takes to the band. Um, Most recently, after a completely uh, natural, organic conversation we had in the van one day about... uh, She mentioned that uh, the song Puff the Magic Dragon made her cry as a child. (laughs) So we all thought that was hilarious. Mm-hmm. And so she tra- challenged us, well, what songs made you cry? And um, so we all started talking about that. So we finished the show now with uh, with uh, a tune that we call the Songs That Made Us Cry as Children Medley. <laughs> and it's uh, quite depressing. I'm and, sure. And funny. Yeah, it's yeah. hilarious and funny. And uh, and uh, But anyway, it's been a wonderful run. We're going to take a little break for the holidays. Jane's got a new show that she's currently in production with, a new TV show called Angel from Hell on CBS. And we resume in January. We're going to go all the way to July. Cool. Yeah. So what, what musical ground does yeah. the show cover? You know, good question, because we were told it was going to be a cabaret act, which typically is kind of show-y, show tunes. Right. And... We range from uh, the tunes that she, a couple of tunes from, from, well, originally there was a couple of tunes from the from Annie in it. One of her encores is from Annie, the big Miss Hannigan feature, Little Girls. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do some like early jazz stuff, like Tin Pan Alley, yeah, and then um, a lot of uh, like. Uh, um, uh, 60s pop anthem stuff. Mm-hmm. She does some funny medleys about uh, uh, you know early sexism in the pop um, 
uh, in the pop tunes that she grew up with. Mm -hmm. And we do some TV themes and uh, and then some uh, novelty tunes. Um, She and Kate uh, years ago did a show called The Real Life Brady Bunch where they reenacted scenes from the Brady Bunch live on stage and it was kind of hilarious and so a lot of original music was written for that uh-huh. so we do a, a tune that's a spoof um, uh, on um, on uh, Go Ask Alice uh, from the I think is that the Jefferson Airplane Go Ask Alice you know it's yeah, you know that's like right. a psychedelic pop tune yeah, yeah. but it's all about the Brady Bunch <laughs> so you know so really from the drum staff we could we'll, we'll, I'm going to veer this thing back to drums here yeah from the drum chair it's actually quite challenging lots of reading yeah uh, lots of reading and you know anybody who would be um, ever um, empowered to do this chair would have to be able to play from the earliest origins of you know uh, jazz to uh, swing era to modern pop and then we also do uh, Nicki Minaj rap of course <laughs> so because so it wouldn't it's, be it, a complete show it without. really spanned it wasn't her um, it wasn't her plan I don't believe but it really spans the origins of American pop music from the beginning to this very day, she takes a turn on uh, Anaconda. Wow. She does the whole Anaconda rap, but it's really very funny, you know, because it's it's intended. Well, it's legitimate, but it can't help but be dorky and awkward, yeah. you know, with the characters. But yeah. you know, the band nails it. So there are obvious challenges to cover all this ground stylistically. Yeah. Um, but one thing I thought of as you were talking about all that is like, what what gear do you use? What, how yeah. how do you choose gear yeah. to, to yeah. cover all this ground? Right. Well, um, it, my setup for this particular gig is very straightforward. Mm-hmm. I mean, I use a standard four piece kit. It's all backlined. I literally. Tr- it's it's. Zach, I'll confess. This is on so many levels has been the most wonderful um, opportunity to date for myself. Um, I, um, I travel with a, um, a tiny little, the little Vic Firth stiletto stick bag mm-hmm. with three pairs of sticks, brushes, and castanets. Mm-hmm. That's what I travel with in the book. And the rest is backlined, but I only request a, a standard uh, four-piece kit. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, my cymbal setup is relatively medium. And, and, I mean, I could tell you specifically what it is, but I request um, uh, the brands that I have a relationship with. Which are? It, which are Mapex drums mm-hmm. and Peisty cymbals. And I even have on my rider uh, that I... Uh, that I Require to have new coated heads on top, mm-hmm. and uh, I request my most favorite head, which is the uh, Aquarian uh, Modern Vintage mm-hmm. and Modern Vintage Two for the snare. It's a two ply. I think it might be two ten ply, a uh, ten mil rather. Um, but anyway, I love those vintage Aquarian heads. Yeah. So, you know, I'm playing jazz pop stuff. I mean, if I went with a clear, if I went with any kind of clear head, it wouldn't cover the jazz stuff, right? And I'm not hitting so hard that the coated heads still aren't just really warm and bright right. for the pop stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, and if and if they are in fact new, you know, you're out on the road, you don't know what you're going to get. And mm-hmm. if I get a kit, I just as soon have the heads just sort of thumb tight on the drums, so I can just dial them in the way that I want them. Right. And I find that I can very easily dial up the Aquarian heads, yeah. and they they are quick to not only tune but stay in tune. And um, so rather than rather than they say, oh they, these these already have you know heads on them, they've only been played a couple of times. I gotta re I gotta put them where I want them anyway. Mm-hmm. So I just as soon have it just them be new. Yeah. And uh, and. But here's a here's a tip for all of our drummer friends. I put on my rider that I give them my list of stuff, and then I say uh, any substitutions need to be confirmed by the artist. So invariably, you know, I go into these different markets, and maybe they don't have the Pisces Dark Energy, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in their in their rental stock. Um, so I find out what they do have, and then we 
develop a conversation, and they're, you know, in every case, more than glad to accommodate or come as close as they can to whatever they have. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now I have these new friends all over the country, and and uh, and uh, I'm lucky that Mapex has a lot of product out there, and a lot of backline companies are using it, and yeah. it's you know it's it what feels comfortable to me. Yeah. You know? So it it sounds like you you have to kind of shoot for just a middle of the road yeah. kind of all purpose. Well, sound. you know what? It, I I think it is, and I think that I you not only have to shoot for that, but I think it's most appropriate for this. I mean, I'm playing big houses where there's sound support for every you know. I mean, everything's mic'd mm-hmm. and. and 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 we say this is a cabaret show, but yeah. you're, you're actually doing theaters. Yeah, like right. you're not doing little clubs. Yeah, well, you know what? We're doing both. Oh, I mean, we did okay. a we did a residency at Joe's Pub uh, in New York, mm-hmm. where you know that's maybe a couple three hundred seats, maybe. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's a, like a legit club. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but we did four nights there, which right. is great. Right. Uh, uh, and I do believe uh, in June we'll be up in the Northwest where we're going to do something else similar to that. But for the most part, yeah, it's like. Two thousand, two to three thousand seat performing arts center. Wow, that big! Yeah, cool. Yeah, cool. We, and we've and we played some of the greatest rooms, um, from Atlanta Symphony Hall mm-hmm. to last week we were at Minneapolis Orchestra Hall, um, uh, and a bunch of other um, really cool like historic theaters. Yeah, you know, from, I love I love those rooms, man. Uh, we were in. Uh, I can't think of the name of the of the theater, but it was this beautiful theater in um, uh, Austin, Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a hundred year old theater. Yeah. You know, was built. It was built for live theater. Yeah. You know, it's probably been everything, including a movie theater, and now they've restored it. And, I love walking into those places where yeah. you, you just walk in and you can yeah. tell it's just full of ghosts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. so much cool music yeah. has yeah. happened in that yeah. room. Yeah. backtrack a little bit yeah. um, because uh, you, like so many musicians in Southern California, yeah. got your professional start at Disneyland. That's right. So talk a little bit about what you did there. That's right. I actually uh, studied commercial music right here at Fullerton College. Grew up in Orange County. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so this was a this was a, uh, an obvious choice for me. And uh, did my first Disney audition right after my second year here and got hired full time. And the original thing I got hired for was uh, their traditional fantasy on parade, their holiday parade. Uh-huh. But I was a part of what they call the Alpha Unit. And unlike all the other groups that came in for the parade and then went home for the day and then came back and did the second parade, we stayed in the park. So my very first gig with Disney was actually a, a full-time you know, union spot in the park. And we would play in the parade. We'd lead the parade. It was the fanfare trumpets, and I actually played timpani. A poor dude pulled a, a set of <laughs> oh timpani on wheels, and then and then I played with the fanfare trumpets. And then we would do um, we'd do sets on the on top of the castle mm-hmm. um, during the day. And then the other part of that alpha unit became the Dickens Brass, and they did um, you know traditional holiday stuff in the park. So from there, um, I did. I used to be able to say that I've played every show in the park except the Polynesian Review <laughs> because they hired Pacific Islanders for that gig. Right. I knew all those guys, though. Um, so I did everything from playing um, uh, character shows. Um, uh, I, I opened a show called Fantasy Follies, which isn't there anymore, and that mm-hmm. was on the um, uh, former Carnation stage. Played a show uh, every summer. We'd go over and do a show called Showbiz Is and the Kids of the Kingdom. Uh, in Tomorrowland, I worked with a Pearly band, and then got with a group called the Jazz Miners over on the French Market stage, mm-hmm. and uh, and some of those guys are still there playing yeah. the Jambalaya Jazz Band and uh, and uh, Royal Street Bachelors. Royal Street Bachelors. Yeah. I subbed uh, f- uh, during my tenure out there many many times on the world famous Disneyland band and yeah. uh, enjoyed that experience. Uh, and we also did. Special events. They used to have a program they'd call Target Market Tours, where they'd travel the country, um, promoting Disneyland to um, to travel agents and rental car companies and their executives and stuff. And so we would take a full Disney show on the road, and I did that off and on for a couple of years. Wow! And uh, and you know, it it would be kind of a hybrid show. So they'd bring a book and they'd say, this is the show, and we'd be expected to read it and nail it mm-hmm. and, and oftentimes play with a click track 
uh, because of the character voices. And if we were just taking a small um, complement of musicians, you know, there'd be string sweetening and, and stuff on there. So we'd, um, you know, I learned how to play with a click track, and that was all invaluable training for me. Mm -hmm. Everything... Every, I mean, I owe a lot to my time at Disney. It was a fabulous time to be there. Uh, you know that I'm back out there now in the sub pool, supporting mm -hmm. a couple of groups on the west side there. But, but back when I was there in the 80s and very early 90s, um, that there was there were so many live shows, not only in the theaters but on the street, and. Um, all kinds of music being played. It was all very demanding. Yeah. And we those shows would get pulled out to go to the hotel and do a special event. We'd have to modify it and quickly on the fly play these two tunes and then cut to this. And yeah. so it was really, you know, it was it was my uh, it was my graduate school working at Disneyland. Yeah. Learning to play those shows. But then from there, um, I got with a group called the Palm Springs Yacht Club, which was a very stylized um, hot twenties comedy band. Mm -hmm that toured for several years um, alternating between the Smothers Brothers, Julie Andrews, and Rich Little. Mm -hmm. And we did um, Vegas and Tahoe and Reno. And it was like a yeah. full, you know, you go to Vegas and you'd work two weeks. Yeah. Then you go to Tahoe and you do the same show. And, right. and uh, so we were a support group for those. They were all with the same management company at the time, and I think that's how we got the, the gig. Mm -hmm. And so I was on the road full time uh, with the Yacht Club when I got a call from my former band director here at Fullerton College who had gone on to become the Dean of Fine Arts. And they said, saw you on, I did a TV special with the Smothers. And back before cell phones and the internet, he mm -hmm. found my number and said, hey, we have an opening, would you consider um, doing some teaching? Well, little did he know that my wife was about to pop with our first child and I said yes I will take a teaching job I was trying to figure out how to yeah. be in town and I got to tell you Zach I hated it <laughs> because it was it was really trial by fire I wasn't trained as a teacher mm -hmm. and they uh, he offered me the whole program and um, and I wasn't halfway through the semester and I thought I'm I'm really going to let this guy down because I can't I was still trying to to play gigs and it was a full-time yeah. thing yeah and I said, I'm really sorry. I, this isn't going to work out. And he said, well, now hang on. What is it you want to do? You know, I said, what, what I'd really like to do is write a curriculum for a drum set because drum set wasn't being taught. So at, when you came in, it was all percussion. Yeah, it was beginning, beginning advanced percussion and percussion ensemble. Mm -hmm. You know, and honestly, I can say at this point in my career, that uh, I was faking my way through the percussion ensemble stuff. I'd marched drum corps. I mean, I had I had studied mallet etudes in college, but right. nothing that I had kept up. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I thought, you know, this is a, a disservice to, you know, obviously to the students, uh, but to my friend who had taken a chance on me. Mm -hmm. And he said, "Well, hang on. If you want to write something for drum set, let's do that. Let's hire another guy to do the stuff." Uh, you know, and so they let me pick somebody, uh, and that person is now um, has changed over three times. They've all been fabulous percussionists and friends, and have all gone on to do other things. And uh, and so I am mid semester in my twenty third year here wow. at Fullerton College, and I've been teaching um, uh, drum set studies for. You know the bulk of that, yeah. and what started is just a single drum set class. Now we teach several sections um, of three levels of drum set: intro, uh, and then an intermediate drum set class and an advanced drum set class. Wow! Yeah, it's how really many, cool. How many students you got? Um, well, the semesters, uh, you know, it's those classes per class. There, you know. 15 students or so. Yeah. They're on the small side, but four. <clears throat> but I've had I've had semesters as many as 24, mm -hmm. uh, which is why we have this particular configuration with 12 kits, mm -hmm. and we literally can accommodate 24. Everybody's on headset. Everybody's yeah. everybody's engaged all the time. That's a huge number of students for the size of yeah. school that this is and the yeah. type of school that this is. Well, it so happens that Fullerton College is the largest. We have the largest enrollment in music uh, in the entire California community college system. Wow. 
uh, I mentioned to you before, it's the oldest continually serving community college in the California community college system. Right. Uh, we just celebrated our uh, centennial in 2013. Mm-hmm. Uh, had a year-long celebration there. Gosh, it's 2015 already. Yeah. Um, it's almost, <laughs> we're almost done with I 15. I know, man. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so I've been teaching here. So, so it took me a while. And, and he really caught me as I was going out the door because I was passionate about teaching. I just didn't have the right platform. And now um, I have developed, I believe, a, a, a curriculum that's very practical based on what I've learned in the trenches, mm-hmm. um, uh, both uh, from a, a reading and literacy standpoint mm-hmm. and also, you know, practical, applicable uh, musical styles. I think the um, I think one of the problems with a lot of college programs, and it's I, it's not just limited to music. I think a lot of collegiate studies. Uh, I think I think there's a, somewhat of a disconnect between what you focus on in college and and the skills that you actually have to use in the professional world. I, as a drum set instructor, have done my best to try and keep people thinking about what they can actually um, apply in the real world um, without saying, you know, formalid etudes are a waste of time. Mm-hmm. You know, I personally didn't want to play mallets growing up. Would a, uh, um, a, a vigorous uh, mallet Immersion made me a better musician, probably. Mm-hmm. You know, better understanding of the whole global um, music world. But it just—I just wasn't drawn to it. And I have sent many, many students off to four-year institutions as percussion majors. And I know that you can relate to this. Mm-hmm. You're still required to take piano. Yeah. But you're also still required to play a mallet recital every semester. And if you want to be um, a drum set performance, there are some places where you can just do drum set performance. Yeah. It, it's kind of what I did by just being a crummy student. I just kind of <laughs> blew everything up. I became a, dr- I became a, a drum set uh, performance uh, major yeah. just by blowing off all my other uh, class. But I mean, I still took piano and I still took theory, and it's right. been invaluable. I mean, I would not have been able to survive. But I'm in a different part, I'm in a different place in my career arc, and I see my son, who's 23 years old, just graduated college. Um, he is producing songs from, from vast libraries uh, on his laptop mm-hmm. and writing, writing TV cues on his laptop. Yeah. Uh, the kids from across the hall, I say that across the hall, the, the, the music technology lab, are coming over with their thumb drives with their Pro Tools projects. They're playing beats. They're uploading the sounds and the loops from the kit. They're taking them over and and doing it in reverse. They're, they're recording some beats here and taking them over and uh, uh, applying their... At least they're playing drums. Mm-hmm. You know, as opposed to just entering them with their fingers, which they can easily do. Right. But and like yeah. you said, like you said, it's not that it's not that practicing four etudes is a waste of time. No, that that will no invariably make you a better musician without but a doubt. I gotta believe that the stuff you're talking about that these kids are doing, yeah, is is gonna be more applicable to a career in music in the 21st century. And and and. And you don't even have to go all, like high tech. You know, I yeah. spent I, I spent the better part of ten years practicing marimba, yeah. hardcore, right. in high school all right. the way through grad school. Right. And for for years, I I kind of defended it. I said it. Yeah. I learned all kinds of musicality, music yeah. theory, harmony yeah. through playing the marimba. Yeah. And a couple of years ago, a friend of mine that I went to school with said, "Yeah, but you know, I don't think of anything that I learned on the marimba that I couldn't have learned on piano." Yeah. Um, well. Yes, except that you had to tap a whole different physical and mental discipline in order to learn that instrument. You know, you could say that about anything. You know, I, I didn't learn anything more on the saxophone that I could have learned on piano. Mm-hmm. I mean, piano, uh, since I came to college without a uh, melodic instrument, 
you know, the piano, I called it my calculator. In <laughs> fact, I would write for every theory test I took, I wrote on the corner of every page, I sketched out a keyboard so I could count half steps, right? So yeah. I could literally do the math. I think of music very spatially mm-hmm. um, because I didn't have a, an instrument, a melodic instrument to relate to. Um, so had I immersed myself in mallets, I would have certainly had a better understanding. One of the one of the uh, most convincing voices to sort of morph into a, um, a more um, what is considered of the moment performance and production uh, certificates here uh, at Fullerton College said to me one time when I said, who needs, you know, I mean, if you don't want to play mallets, you should not have to play mallets. He said, but yeah, but when are you going to expose yourself? And he began naming all the classical artists. You know, if not in college, when are you ever going to expose yourself to this music? Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, great. So this is what I came to, Zach, because it's hard work no matter what you want to do. You want to play the drum set? It's hard work. I think people gravitate to it because you can look at a drummer and say, okay, I understand what he's doing. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of people think playing the drums is easy. But you really have to be passionate about it. Mm-hmm. So if a student comes in and they're just really resisting playing mallets, we have a conversation. Well, I have a conversation with students in any regard. What are their goals? What are their goals? We're serving a, a, a broad range of goals here at a, what is a community college. Mm-hmm. We have students who don't have the grades to go to a four-year college. We have students that can't afford to go to a four-year institution. We have people that just... The reality of their life is they have to work full time, and this is how they're doing their studying. Right. Uh, we have people who are enrolled in certificate programs, so mm-hmm. they're coming here to get a certificate and any number of 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 uh, careers that um, Fullerton College offers. Um, retired people and returning military and all the above. So mm-hmm. I say to my students, what are your goals? What do you hope to glean from here and what's the plan? Where are you going? Mm -hmm. And somebody says, I'm playing drums in my church band right now. I want to start a band and I think I want to write some songs. Okay? I have a list of recommendations for that. Mm -hmm. But another guy that says, I was in the orchestra at school and I marched drum corps in the summer and I I'm really thinking that I want to, you know, go orchestral. Then he gets 100%, you know, of that direction. Another aspect of uh, the music business that I think is is not um, talked about enough in, in college programs is just the overall concept of entertainment. Yeah. Um, and if, if you guys go to Matt's website, it says Matt Johnson, drummer, entertainer, music educator. Yeah. So talk about whether it's at Disneyland or yeah. Jane Lynch or I mean, it seems like all the all the gigs you've done are yeah. definitely geared towards entertainment as yeah. opposed to art. Yeah. Um, so yeah. what is your philosophy about music as entertainment? Well, I think that it's it's paramount. It's it's paramount, and I and I have uh, my Disney education to thank for that. Mm-hmm. Um, every group that I've ever been in, and I used to, I used to say that the majority of the work that I do is stuff that I created, and I can safely say the all of the work that I do now is something that I created or is a result of a relationship that I have uh, cultivated. Mm -hmm. And it kind of goes hand in hand with what you asked me because the presentation, in fact, I just handed you our new CD from Mm -hmm. the Tony Guerrero Quintet called The Thing Is, and you said, oh, look how dapper. (laughs) I mean, you are a very experienced entertainer yourself, and you responded very positively to that album cover, which happens to be us in suits um, every group I've ever been in I've wanted it to be very stylized whether it was the Palm Springs Yacht Club which had a very you know we wore white flannels and blue double breasted blue blazers you know to have a very particular kind of look all the way up to the Tony Guerrero Quintet which is 
uh, also known as the Jet Set Quintet. Mm -hmm. If I said Jet Set Quintet, that would elicit a very particular kind of Mad Men kind of vibe. Right. That's what the Tony Guerrero Quintet is. And I think that it's it's been important for me to have a very well-developed um, idea of what your project looks like because mm -hmm. that if people are just going to judge you on that it doesn't make any it doesn't matter how badass you are yeah. when they see you they go oh okay he's that right you know when i open up modern drummer magazine and i see a guy sitting behind a massive kit wearing a black t-shirt and all tatted up mm -hmm. i'm like okay he's that it's just natural yeah you know if if he's sitting behind a 28 inch bass drum with a little leather tack drum mm -hmm. and and a jacket and bow tie i say okay he's that right you know and i when i say he's that that's shorthand for all the musical styles that i believe that to be whether i whether i whether i've listened to him or not so we're all being judged at that level um so i think you know, it's really important to set yourself apart mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. You know, there's a you can't throw a rock without hitting a drummer. Right. And you know, there's five jobs out there, mm -hmm. which is which which is why when a drummer says, "Well, I like drums. I mean, I like I marched in the drum corps. Maybe I'll play marimba." I'm like, "No, man. You gotta you gotta want this more than anything in your life. Yeah. I mean, you can play marimba for pers or drum set or saxophone or whatever for personal enrichment." But if you're talking about, you know, getting to a point where someone's going to hire you, you have to be really willing to invest um, in the time and the competition, mm -hmm. you know, that is in front of you. Yeah. So um, I, I, always, I always feel that the musician in any project I'm in, and if you invite me to be in your project, don't waste my time for very long. Uh, because I want it to look good mm -hmm. and I want it to sound good. Mm -hmm. I want every project I'm in to be a great band. Right. And I've played in some bands with some great musicians, but they weren't necessarily great bands. Mm -hmm. And I, and the, the the TGQ is a great band. And if and and I'm not just saying it because I'm just full of it. <laughs> you know, we spend a lot of time on and not choreographing it, not making it look you know, like the Partridge family or something stiff, right? You know, but it's got to it's got to fit a visual image, it has to support the music and around, around, around. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, speaking of competition in yeah. the drum world, yeah. Um, you know, every everybody talks about you. Sh you you got to be versatile. Yeah. You got to be able to play a bunch of different styles, and and uh, that's kind of hammered into us. Uh, from the start, but one of the things that I've sort of come to realize, especially in LA, is that if you're if you're in a big market like this with a lot of competition, yeah, um, it doesn't necessarily serve you to be versatile, right? Because if you like, you know, say you're proficient in jazz, Latin, rock, and musicals, yeah, if you can do it, like all right. of those things, yeah, um, that's great. But in a in a place like LA or New York. There are gonna be five guys who that's all they do. Right. You know, they're not interested in those other three things. They yeah. are a jazz player. Right. They're not interested in those other three things. They are a rock drummer. Right. So how how do you balance or what's your advice about balancing versatility versus specialization? Right, 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 right. Okay. All right. Feel free to put this right up front because this is really, really important. I feel it, this is one of the most important things I can lay on my students. I mean, kids who are coming, paying money, taking time out of their lives to prep themselves for hopefully a career. Um, when I went to school, the studio business was, I mean, it was, it, the only place to record music was in a big studio-owned facility. And, you know, to be a studio musician in L.A. was the thing to be. And just uh, per your intro to this, we were told you got to be able to play every style and you have to be able to read anything. And that's what you did. And then once you became that versatile, there's no work that you couldn't do. Mm -hmm. Well, so the... I wasn't even out of college when this 
large studio system started dying, and the advent of the Porta Studio and and drum machines and and the like really diminished almost overnight the amount of work that drummers could do. Um, when I was studying and trying to be a, a well-versed studio musician, there would be people on the periphery of our music program that were only rock drummers, that only played in a band. That was unheard of. That was laughable. <laughs> we laughed at those guys. You were like, you, you play a style, mm -hmm. you know, take off. Right. And, you know, we, we've kind of circled back around to, and I personally have circled back around to, Decide what it is you want and create it. And I and I realized, I'm going to tell you the story in a second, but I realized that that's the way I've always thought. Yeah, I could play, you know, mambos and songos and cha-chas and, and sambas and, and know the difference between them and when to play which. But if I only wanted to play 20s jazz, how was that serving me? Well, it was serving me because I was really good on the instrument you know I had the mechanics I could insert a little bit of this or a little bit of that mm -hmm. when I could get away with it but just a few years ago in 2008 uh, when the economy went through the floor all of a sudden my phone started ringing conspicuously uh, being rung by people that um, that I would have paid money to work with in previous years and they'd call me and this is how the conversation would go hey Matt how's it going and I'd say uh, everything's good man what's up well hey I just thought it's been a long time and maybe it's time we should you know work together collaborate on something I'm like that is so great what did you have in mind and then they would reply well you know whatever you come up with <laughs> you know any, anything you think of you know, let me know because it'd be great to work with you. And I'm like, okay. And I scratched my head. And so literally that happened a couple of times. And because everybody all of a sudden was beating the bushes. Everybody mm -hmm. was locked into their own little, you know, universe, right. orbit. Right. You know, we all get into our orbits. And so when that dries up, you kind of start reaching out. And, and people weren't trying to be malicious. They were just uncomfortably saying, I need work. Do you have work? Mm -hmm. And so very quickly... I decided I would just kind of turn it back on them. And I and I believe, truly believe I was trying to be helpful because I was also searching, you know, I was also trying to make sense of here I've supported myself supported myself, bought cars and and bought a house and put a couple of kids through college and putting am putting kids through college. Mm -hmm. And I'm freaking out too, right? Mm -hmm. There was always work. Um so let's say, Zach, that Money is not an issue. What would the Zach experience sound like? What would it look like? Mm -hmm. You know, you're calling me and asking me for work, and that's cool. And I'm, man, the first chance I get, I'm going to think of you. But in the meantime, what, what's the, you know, what's your ultimate project? And almost to a person, they'd say, well, gosh, I never thought about it. <laughs> I mean, these are people who are clearly infected by the music bug, and they became musicians because at some point they loved music, right. but they came, became, they were so talented, and these are not pikers I'm talking about. These are people who are very talented. They became so talented and so versatile and so in demand that when given the opportunity to do their own thing, they were at a loss for what that would be. Mm-hmm. So that's when I decided that I was going to focus on projects that I really want to happen. So when I told you that the, all the work that I do is based on something I either created or, or a relationship that I had cultivated, because I don't write music. I mean, I'm not a songwriter. Yeah. Um, I've always collaborated. I collaborated with Tom Kubis on a fabulous band called Swing Savant that was a... Um, hot 30s show band mm -hmm. um, and traveled the trad jazz circuit and that group is still talked about um, I've been on this journey with Tony Guerrero through groups called Swing, Fe Swing Fest and the Hi-Fi Quintet and the Jet Set Quintet and now we're taking over Tony's name because he got the MD gig with Jane and we're just riding this thing mm -hmm. but 
every step of the way, there has been a conscious sort of design process going on in my head. When I was a young kid coming up, I'd ask guys, you know, what are your tips? And, they, and they'd say, well, you just got to figure it out, man. And I thought, you know what? You're clearly where you are for some reason. How'd you get there? Mm-hmm. And at this point in my life, 57 years old, I realized that I could tell you how I got to where I am, but that's not necessarily going to be a recipe for you to do it, right? Right. So, and, so uh, it's got to it's got to come from you, right? Um, and a, another thing that I'm sort of hearing from you is that you're like you're not a songwriter. Yeah. You don't write music. That's right. You don't create original material. No. But that hasn't stopped you. No. From from creating things that are still yours and still original. It, it's not that it hasn't stopped me. It's it's so part of me. In fact, I it puts as many people off as it does inspire people. I can't help but start to produce something that I'm in. Mm-hmm. I was in a group recently. They became aware of me, and they have a very stylized thing, and it's a really sexy concept. And they said, man, we want you. You could help what we do. And mm-hmm. I came in, and I learned their book, and I learned their show. And I, you know, at some point, it became obvious to me the changes that I would make. And I took a meeting with them, and I said, this is how I see this thing moving forward. Mm-hmm. And they were like, well, we don't. And I'm like, well, you invited me to come in to give you some feedback, and we kind of we kind of ended up at loggerheads right. because they, they I, I believe, in all humility, they thought that I would be someone who could, you know, continue to grow their thing. But what they may not have considered at the time is they were doing exactly what they wanted to do. They just didn't have the work. So they wanted me to help them kind of, you know, become more employed, more right. employable. They didn't uh, want you to change their act. Right. And I'm like, well, you know what? Since we're talking about getting better gigs, bigger gigs, bigger venues, away from a jazz club and more to like a casino stage where people don't know anything about music. Mm-hmm. You know, now we're appealing to people that don't know anything about how great you are on the saxophone. They just want to look at you and and enjoy. You know, I think you have to play at a, a really high level. It's just a given. Mm-hmm. At least that's what I feel personally. Mm-hmm. And then create a visual presentation that is pleasing. Right. So here you've got this musical package. It's really slick. I think we need to maybe block our performance a little like this. Don't play in places that where the stage is going to constrict this size ensemble, you know, maybe turn down some of the cheapy gigs, you know, which is kind of another thing, you know, people are so desperate to work that they take gigs below where they envision themselves. Right. And then guess what? They never get to where they want to get because they Mm -hmm. just get pigeonholed by people who are seeing them there. Right. Mm -hmm. So, which is why a pop act that comes out of nowhere or which is why you have to spend, you know, millions of dollars to produce an act that's worthy of being at that level because it takes lots and lots of rehearsal and lots mm-hmm. of, you know, lots of producing and lots of, you know, directing and, and uh, you know, to make it appropriate to be consumed by a mass market. Yeah. So... What was your question? Because, because I, <laughs> well, we were talking about. Um, I, I think one of the reasons that some musicians become those all-purpose versatile guys, yeah. or or gals, is because yeah. they don't um, feel uh, compelled to write original music. Yeah, well, if, if you don't feel compelled to be an original voice yeah. on your instrument, right. then the logical next step would be to become a, a versatile guy. Yeah, but what I hear player. you saying is that if you know if if you're not one of those musicians who original material just comes out of yeah. that that doesn't have to stop you from really zeroing in on what you like and what you pursue envisioning yeah. I think you have to and 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 I feel strongly and I say it to my children and I say it to my students you have to envision the place you want to be mm-hmm. cuz if you can identify that 
that's the hard part. See, that's what I mean. I was talking to seasoned studio musicians who didn't have a vision for themselves. They just knew the phone was going to ring, and right. they were going to go be they were going to go be that hired gun, right. And nail whatever that request was. Show right? up and read the thing. Show up and, and just kill it, yeah. right? And all of a sudden, when that opportunity was wasn't there, you know, I mean, that's a that's a that's a tough realization, you mm-hmm. know, when you have come up through the ranks knowing that you put a piece of music in front of me or you ask me to do whatever it is in performance and and I'm and there's no way I can't do it when somebody says oh by the way you can never do that again I mean that's that's crazy mm-hmm. tough I mean, people are jumping out of windows yeah. you know so I think whether it's music or any other career pursuit or you know passion in life um, you have to be able to envision it because if you can envision it even if you don't like if I decided today I wanted to be an astronaut I have no idea what that takes mm-hmm. but I could find out the steps involved in becoming an astronaut right saying that you want to be the best drummer ever is a worthy pursuit but if you're talking about getting hired now you have to envision what type of project you want to be in. Mm-hmm. And to say, hey, I want to be a jack of all trades, hired gun, best at every style, that's cool. Put yourself out there that way. Mm-hmm. But you got to choose something because guess what? Nobody's looking for you. Right. Nobody's looking for you. Yeah. And that's really hard for a performer. I'm as every much of a performer as I am a musician. Mm-hmm. I really... I am drawn to live performance. Right. And so I wish to be out there. Mm-hmm. And so if I am not in the arena, I get real antsy real fast, which probably fuels my, okay, where do I want to be kind of concept. And for me, it was always seeking out those people around me that inspired me. Right. That piano player that inspired me. And, and, um, or, you know, in this case, Tony and I were friends, and uh, and I'm like, I have marketing skills. I married a publicist. I learned a lot about yeah. that end of promoting a band. So I'm like, I'm down with doing that part of it. You know, if you're willing to uh, supply content, musical content, and this is kind of how I see it. And that vision has changed over the years because right. of, you know, where just where the band is gone. Yeah. But and this is something I've realized recently. Like you talked about um, finding people that you want to play with, yeah. finding the people that you're like, man, yeah. I need to do something with yeah. that guy. Yeah. It's it's one thing to to find those people and get on their radar and, and hope they hire you for something. Right. It's another thing, because I can tell you've done this, it's another thing to find those people and then hire them for your thing. Yeah. If you're the kind of person that's doing everything that I just said and you're meeting like-minded people, you're both working on stuff. Right. You're both working on stuff. And... Um, which is which is one advantage to studying music in an institution. Yep. You're surrounded by like-minded people who are probably at the same point in their arc, mm-hmm. right? They've 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 come to uh, enjoy music. They're they're hungry to learn more about it, and they're anxious to get out there in the arena. So, I mean, to this day, I work with producers and writers that I met in college. Mm-hmm. You know, people that I met at Disney. Yeah. You know, who are all over the world doing stuff now, and I'm in touch with a lot of them, and and still get a chance to collaborate. Yeah. It's a big part. It's a big part of the puzzle, Zach. It's it's it's. Um, the personal relationships. Find a musician that inspires you, yeah. and then go tell that person. That's really what they're craving. Right. It'll make them feel good about you. Then it'll be your opportunity to live up to the responsibility of that statement, and not just like, "Hey, that guy's, gr-, you know, that guy's great. Right. He looks like an asshole." But I'm going to tell him he's great, <laughs> and maybe he'll think I'm not an asshole. Right. And you know, so you have to create a, you know, you have to attempt to create a genuine connection. Right. The people getting hired. To play music are connecting on a personal level. Yeah. There's too many talented musicians to suffer an asshole for two minutes. Right. So it's not just because you can play. It's not. You, it's and, and more and more there are people in producing and hiring positions who don't really know the difference between you and the guy that can't play as well. 
They just it just needs to be a comfortable personal thing, right? You know, right. and hopefully, you're inspiring one another. Mm. I I. I'm always attracted to people that inspire me. I mean, rather that I'm inspired by. Mm-hmm. Um, if I see them playing, I'm inspired by that person. I tell them that. That's like, you know, your 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 art moves me. Mm-hmm. And and then if it gets around to talking about what I'm into, then we talk about that. And then if somebody says that, you know, and frankly, that's part of the evolution of my relationship with Tony. We had a piano trio plus trumpet, and he said, I'm thinking, I'm hearing organ. And I'm like, you know what? I was just thinking about an organ trio with a couple horn players. And we reintroduced organ into the group that we were working with, and it just, it was because we were both kind of into that at the time, you know? The last thing I want to ask you about real quick is is clothes. Yeah. Because I think I think you and I are both kind of sartorially inclined. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's not a gimmick. I like wearing nice clothes. Yeah, me too. I like me wearing too. nice clothes. And you know what? It's 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 maybe you've experienced this. Sorry, I'm interrupting your question. And no, and I and I've so enjoyed our visit. And I and I apologize if this ends up all seeming long winded. <laughs> but I find myself now going to things where I'm dressed. Appropriately, and people are like, "Whoa, what are you getting married today or something?" They're really put off. But okay, so ask me the question. Well, no, I was just wondering about like, what are your what are your thoughts about dressing the part for a musician? Well, there's there's two things. I mean, I live very near the beach and live in a beach culture, and I wear t-shirts and flip flops all the time. Mm-hmm. Um. But if I'm going to, um, you know, if I'm going to a public event or something, you know, I'm not going to wear a T-shirt unless I'm trying to cop like, a, you know, a T-shirt under the jacket kind of vibe right, thing. Right? right. So playing the part as a musician, there isn't a musical situation. Well, at least if it's a public performance where there isn't some kind of uniform required. Mm-hmm. So um, but I do know, having spent many years contracting live entertainment, that if you say, Suit, you know, suit and tie, that you also have to specify not coat and slacks, Mm -hmm. matching suit with hard shoes, you know, because you'll get. I mean, for years I used to do gigs and 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 tell guys, you know, it's it's a suit and tie gig, and people would come with a with a with a shirt and tie and a like a little zipper windbreaker. You know, so now you're on the gig and you have to decide, is that because one, this guy doesn't know, or two, maybe he can't afford a jacket, mm-hmm. or three, is he just being a passive aggressive dick and you know, now you gotta have another kind of conversation with him, right? right. So no. Dressing like a grown up <laughs> is something that I have that I enjoy at this time of my life. Yeah. And and you talk about um Earlier, we talked about people like they listen with their eyes, yeah, right, yeah, and and you were referring to that in the context of an audience to the musician, right? But it also happens between musicians, oh, sure like from a band leader to the yeah. guy he just hired, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I just I wanted I wanted to get your your thoughts on that because I feel like a lot of musicians who are you know younger who just yeah. got out of college or yeah. whatever, it's not necessarily their fault that you know. Dressing is not necessarily on their radar. That's right, because right. they've been focused on music. Right, or if no but, one's ever taken the time to, you know, if they didn't have, if they didn't have to dress up to go to a wedding or a right. funeral or a job interview or a, you right. know, Easter, yeah. or, you know, whatever. Yeah, I get it. Look, at, it's the bigger, the bigger question is appropriateness. Right. And when I get called for a job, I want to know, you know, if somebody says, "Can you can you work on this date?" You know, it's a four-piece rock gig. And I'll say, okay, yes, I can. What are we wearing? You know, and if they just say, well, it's just a rock gig. And I'm like, okay. So to me, then that means it doesn't matter. Right. And probably I'll end up being the best-dressed guy in the gig. Right. 
Um, and but as far as clothes go, like you talk about having you know one one drum set, you yeah. got to make that work right. for a bunch of different gigs. Yeah. You know, if just buy a black suit. Yeah. Everybody just buy a black suit. Buy a black suit. You can get away with that now. If you if you read uh, if you read a fashion magazine, they would say black shouldn't be your first choice. You should have a, a gray or blue suit, and then black because black is appropriate. You know, not appropriate for day wear, but like. You said ninety five percent of the time, black suit's going to work for yep. you. In fact, I for performers, especially. for performers, you can wear that with a coat and tie, or you can go black on black. A right. lot of agency bands just go black on black. Yep. So it looks sharp, but it's all neutral and mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Being appropriate for the gig, everything from what you're wearing to what sticks you're playing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you don't have to spend a ton of money. You can get no. a, you can get a secondhand suit. You can get it no. tailored. No, you don't just, even have to buy a secondhand. Suit. You can go to an outlet. I mean, yeah, you know, Nordstrom Rack. Yeah, you can you can get a suit that'll last you years mm-hmm. for two hundred dollars. Yep, and uh, and that's and that's not going to be the cheapest one you can buy. Right. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Keep it skinny and stay skinny. <laughs> really. And you know what? Exercise. Yeah. For God's sakes, exercise. Mm-hmm. Well, I feel like I need to do the 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 interview over, but just bullet points. <laughs> Exercise, learn to read everything, in, be, be a visionary, be someone who has a vision. Where can, where can people uh, find you online? DrummerMattJohnson.com, M-A-T-T-J-O-H-N-S-O-N.com. And, and give us the, uh, the website for Fullerton again. I think it's FullertonPercussion.com, but you can certainly go to, uh, for information on, on the college, uh, fullcall.edu F-U-L-L-C-O-L-L dot E-D-U Come on and take a drum set class and prepare yourself for the future. There you have it. Drummer, entertainer, musical educator, and snappy dresser, Matt Johnson. Thanks so much for doing this, man. Absolutely my pleasure. Man, he's one of those people who combines a lot of cool ideas with the energy and the drive to make them happen. Uh, It's really inspiring. Thanks to Matt for doing that interview. Check him out at drummermattjohnson.com and look for him coming to a venue near you with Jane Lynch in 2016. Don't forget to check out the other podcasts on the Merge Network, uh, Drummer's Resource with Nick Ruffini and the Daniel Glass Podcast. Thanks again to Matthew Krauss. I'm very excited and grateful to be a part of the Working Drummer team. And thanks to you for listening.